When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo. My name's Kyle. And I'm Matthew. We are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Now, apparently, there's been some confusion about what I just said just there. Oh. Uh, that part about the Pantheon Podcast Network. We had someone ask us why I keep mispronouncing Patreon. Ah. Because we refer to Patreon at the end of the show. Two different things, everybody. Okay. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And I started to think about it. Maybe it is confusing since there's just a couple letters difference. So yeah. our shows, Audio Judo and Audio Judo Does Jazz, are distributed on a network of other music podcasts called Pantheon. And we have a pay platform that we release smaller episodes and additional content called Patreon. Patreon. They are separate entities. Completely separate. For additional Audio Judo content, go to Patreon. Dot com forward slash Audio Judo. If you want additional music-based podcasts, go to Pantheon podcasts.com with an s that is pantheonpodcasts.com exactly you can also search for pantheon podcasts on any major uh, podcasting platform uh, and their stream will come up what's really cool about the stream is if you like our podcast you can go look at the pantheon podcast stream and it will show you all the other episodes that come out all the other shows that are in the same network so if you're not quite sure what you want to listen to you can subscribe to that and give a few of them a try yeah that's how i found two or three of the ones that i enjoy Oh, nice tip. Right? So this week, I'm super excited to do this episode. Oh, this is a good album. Because we are talking about a hometown hero from yes. where I was raised, Robert Clark Seeger and his 1976 album, Night Moves. Bob Seeger is beloved in Michigan and treasured in Detroit and the surrounding areas. And as we will see, his popularity in that area far outweighed his success in the rest of the country for a good part of his career. Yeah. Uh, he is the quintessential Midwestern rocker, writing about things that we all could relate to and get our arms around. He was the everyman, hard worker, blue collar and gritty with his gravelly voice. And uh, he sometimes mentioned places in Michigan in his songs. Yeah. And that always endears you to the fans. Well, he could not be more Michigan-y if he tried. No. I mean, his, he was born in a hospital called Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan. Right. He then moved to Ann Arbor when he was five years old. His father was a medical technician for, guess who, the Ford Motor Company. You put uh, it, everybody runs yeah, through there at one right? point or another. Apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, he could not be more Michigan no. if he tried. The album that we are talking about today, Night Moves, was not only his national breakthrough record, but also his commercial peak, even though he maintains his popularity to this very day on his farewell tour. 2018, 2019, Heather and I saw him at the Talking Stick Arena in Phoenix. Ooh. 20,000 people, standing room only for a 74-year-old musician with a bad back. <laughs> uh, this far from home with a capacity crowd indicates to me that he is still pretty popular even in this neck of the woods. Um, but before we talk about Night Moves, we should talk about his beginnings as a musician. Yes, we should. How he got to this record. So as you mentioned, born in 1945 in Detroit to a father who worked for Ford. Uh, he lived there until he was about 10 when his father abandoned the family and moved to California. Seeger and the rest of his family were 
quickly bounced out of their very comfortable middle-class lifestyle and moved out of Detroit, as you mentioned, to Ann Arbor, a college town which is about 40 miles outside of, of Detroit, the home of the University of Michigan. Um, so you're slightly familiar with it. Then. Yeah. Naturally, being a product of the 1950s, his first influences were Little Richard and, of course, Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Uh, he arrived back in Detroit at the age of 16 with his first band, a trio called The Decibels. Good name. I like it. Yeah, I like it. The band was all high school kids, and they recorded one demo called The Lonely One. Uh, and just this year, the classic rock station in Detroit, yeah. uh, WCSX 94.7, played that demo for only the second time ever on the air. Yeah, when they pressed it, they pressed it to an acetate record. It only got played once on a local Ann Arbor radio station, and then everybody thought it was just gone. Yeah. It was lost. And somebody found a tape of it somewhere. And I, I, I searched to see if I could figure out, was this something somebody had taped or was it cop- a copy of a master tape or what the hell it was? No, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it either. But they did play it twice, like you said, on the radio on March 15th and 16th of this year. Yeah. With, with Bob Seger's yes, permission. Which is awesome. Kind of a wind up to a career that spanned essentially 60 years. Yeah. Um, after that group disbanded, he joined a band called the Town Criers and became heavily influenced in those years by the popular music of the day, namely the Beatles, mm-hmm. as everyone seemed to be. Yeah. Uh, spent the majority of the 60s jumping from band to band. First, it was Doug Brown and the Omens, also a good name. And then it was yeah. The Last Herd. That sucks. Uh, before <laughs> that's, that's Herd, H E A R D, by the way. <laughs> so the wordplay, ha ha. <laughs> Before finally fronting his own band called the Bob Seger System. Uh, and this would be his first taste of any sort of fame. He signed a contract with Capitol Records after turning down an offer for more money by the local label Motown Records. Yeah. Because as he saw it, he didn't fit the Motown sound. That's, exactly. That's pretty accurate. Uh, their first single was an anti-war song called 2 Plus 2 Equals Question, question mark? mark, which became a hit single in Detroit. And gained some popularity in Buffalo, New York, which makes sense. Blue collar, gritty town. Sure. And Orlando, which makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, That seems far afield for his type of music. Yeah, that's a little bit bit of a weird one right there. Uh, Elsewhere in the States, Bupkis. Yeah, nothing. Uh, It would gain a little traction in Canada, though, topping out at number 79 on the charts up there. So go Canada. Their second single, however, much bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. Released in 1969, Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, which features backup vocals from fellow Detroiter and future eagle Glenn Fry, would become a major hit in the Detroit area and would get to number 17 on the Billboard Top 100, a significant step up. Would you say he provided some vocal fry for <laughs> the song? <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Okay. The album of the same name would also have limited success, reaching number 62 on the album chart. Unfortunately, though, he could not capitalize on the success, and the next album fizzled out. System collapsed after that record, and Seeger tried his luck as a solo act, releasing an acoustic album in 1971 that was a commercial disaster. Yes. He was dropped from Capitol Records soon after. So yeah, he bounced around with a few bands for the next several years, both writing and performing with a number of acts with varying degrees of minor success. In 1974, though, uh, he would form the band that he would find the kind of success he had been searching for since he started. Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band. What a great name. Was born. Uh, there. Go ahead. I would say the original lineup for that. Drew Abbott on guitars, Charlie Allen Martin on drums and backing vocals, Rick Manassa on keyboards and backing vocals, Chris Campbell on bass guitar, and Alto Reed on saxophone and backing vocals. Alto Reed, or as my wife calls him, Saxophone Joe. Saxophone Joe. Rest, may he rest in peace. Not to be confused with Sexy Sax Man. That's, That's true. exactly he correct. Is, he is not Sexy Sax Man, but he is a Sexy Sax a Man. A Sexy Sax Man, just not the or I should Sexy say Sax Man. Was sadly passed oh, away in December 2020. That's sad. So. Uh, their first album, Seven, released in 1974, charted modestly, but their fortunes would begin to change with the release of their next record, Beautiful Loser, <laughs> released in 1975. I love that name. Besides the wonderful title song the album also contained a cover of tina turner's nutbush city limits yeah, that's really good and catman do which is mm-hmm. a local detroit favorite um that album peaked just outside the top 40 but set the stage for his next venture one that would catapult him to superstardom in michigan but strangely still not seem to break outside of that area um in september 1975 
Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band would record two nights of the finest, one of the finest live records in rock and roll history, Live Bullet. Mm Mm-hmm. Recorded at Kobo Arena in downtown Detroit, it contained his seminal live work, Turn the Page, mm-hmm. with its stellar and instantly recognizable saxophone lick by Alto Reed. Um, it is a gut-wrenching song about life on the road that is captured so well in the exhaustion you can hear from Seeger in his singing and the cavernous sound of Kobo Arena. Yeah. It's so great. It is, weirdly, for the time that it was recorded in, from a... a, a technical standpoint it sounds so good as a live recording oh it does it is bonkers how good it sounds and on top of that musically it is just wonderful to listen to yeah and it's effective today so when heather and i saw him back in 2019 it was still moving still resonated heather and i were singing along and that emotion just gets you right in the back of the throat it's very powerful you like you you feel it and it caught on at AOR formatted stations, that's album-oriented rock for anyone not catching up, and began to gain some traction across the country. But locally, it was a phenomenon. His imbalance was still significant, though. After the release of that album, he was able to play at the newly opened Pontiac Silverdome to 80,000 people. (laughs) And just a few nights later, in Chicago, just a measly four-hour drive from Detroit... He played in front of less than a thousand. Which, if I remember correctly, the Silver Dome when it opened was one of the largest stadiums in the world. That is right? correct. It's just so... a giant parachute. <laughs> was. was a was giant, a giant parachute. parachute. Yeah, it's, it's gone now. But the success of Live Bullet set the table for the record that we're going to talk about today, 1976's Night Moves. So, released in October 76, with backing by both the Silver Bullet Band and the Muscle Shoals Band. Yeah. That's what's nuts about this album, is it is not one backing band. Oh, no. It is kind of three. Yeah. (laughs) Because like you said, the Muscle Muscle Shoals uh, uh, band from the Muscle... Jesus. I can't pronounce this. Muscle Muscle Shoals. Muscle Shoals Studios in Mm -hmm. Alabama did four of these songs. Yeah. The Silver Bullet Band recorded four of these songs in Pampa Studios in Detroit. And then they were doing some pickup recordings because they felt like they needed just a little bit more. And they actually recorded three more songs in Nimbus 9 Studios in Toronto uh, with the Silver Bullet Band, who then left. And they recorded one song with some locals, uh, Night Moves, they did with uh, Joe Milkey on, I believe that's how it's it's pronounced, on guitar, and Doug Riley on organ. Yeah, slew of other musicians and producers. The album, as you said, was recorded in Alabama, Toronto, and my hometown of Warren, Michigan. Apparently, and this is news to me, he recorded several tracks for the record at, and it's one of the only times I'm going to correct you, it's Pampa. Oh, Pampa. It's at the Pampa Sound Studios. So going through this research. Feel free to correct me anytime, Matthew, by the way. Just putting that out there. I, I saw that name, Pampa Studios, when we were doing this research. And I was like, I know that name, but it means something Completely different to me. Pampa used to be the name of a bowling alley close to my house, hmm. maybe about four miles away that my parents used to be in leagues at. So I did a little digging. There was a Pampa recording studio in the basement of the Pampa bowling alley. No shit. According to producer Punch Andrews, uh, the Seeger's longtime manager, the bowlers had to be stopped from time to time for them to record their tracks. He also said, quote, sometimes the bass was enhanced by the bowlers on lane 17. <laughs> I, I love that. So, so much history was being made just a few short miles from where I grew up. That studio closed in the early 80s. And unfortunately, the bowling alley burned down just a few years ago. Oh, it's another hard. place of memory just wiped away. And that's sad. But the fact that, yeah, that it was like happening right there. That's crazy. In the basement of a bowling alley that my parents may have been at while he was recording it. Because <laughs> 76, I would have been about four. They were definitely in bowling leagues about then because we used to have a shelf in the basement that was just wall-to-wall my parents' bowling trophies. Like 30 <laughs> trophies, like wedged into a corner. So maybe they may have been there. Uh, do you have the uh, vitals for this? I record? do. So, uh, like you said, this was com- uh, critically and commercially successful. It peaked at number four on the Billboard Pop Singles chart. Became Seeger's first top ten album. God damn it, I can't read tonight. <laughs> tonight? Most of the time, I'm just I'm in, I'm a I'm an illiterate. <laughs> Sold over six million copies, uh, meaning that it's certified six X platinum in the U.S. 
pushed his previous albums, Beautiful Loser and Live Bullet, to higher sales numbers as well. Beautiful Loser has 2 million copies sold total, and Live Bullet has 6 million copies sold, sold total worldwide. Uh, side note, Live Bullet, like we said before, is a fantastic album. Go listen to it after you listen to Night Moves. You absolutely should. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about the cover? Yeah, sure. Friend is just a picture of Bob Seger. It's real simple. From the chest up, he's wearing a leather jacket. Over his shoulder is a weird round light up above him. I think it's a stage light. You think so? For the set for the mid seventies, I think that it's just a sense. big. For now, just a big. At first, I thought maybe it's like really a blurry picture of the moon, but I, I, I in further looking at it, it's definitely some kind of a light source. I think it's a, a stage light. He's got a you know the forlorn look or kind of a rock and roll look on his face. Yeah. Picture was taken by Tom Burt. Mm -hmm. When I looked that guy up, I was blown away by the length and breadth and richness of this guy's career. And he was another local Michigan guy to boot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one that I had never heard of before. And that's so great that through the course of this podcast, we are getting exposed to all these people that participated in all these wonderful albums and gaining a new appreciation for everything that went with them yeah and I, uh, that's awesome and did you dig into his career i did dude has taken photos just in music he's done uh, uh lots of celebrity photos lots of uh, uh other photos for commercial uh, entities and things but just in music short list gordon lightfoot ringo Starr, george benson jerry lee lewis tanya tucker andy williams david allen co peter yarrow uh the band iron butterfly the band war along with hundreds of others he also took that famous photo of Elvis that was used on the TV Guide cover in 1977. Yeah. Did you say Neil Diamond? I did not say Neil Diamond. I forgot about Neil Diamond. Did Neil Diamond's uh, my favorite Diamond album, Hot August Night? Yeah, which is great. And then before, and then after that, he settled down and became a primarily an automotive automobile photographer mm-hmm. that took up the bulk of his career. He published books of poetry. He painted. He was a Michigan Renaissance man, and I had never <laughs> heard of him before a few weeks ago. Uh, his work is phenomenal, and there's so many iconic car shots that are instantly recognizable to a child of that area. Like, yeah. you recognize those car shots, and it's great to know where all that work came from. Uh, unfortunately, he also passed away in 2002 yeah. uh, of a pulmonary embolism. But his work lives on in works like Night Moves. Yeah. Uh, go check out his uh, – there's a great website dedicated to him as well. If you just uh, if you just search for uh, Tom Burt – I almost said Tony Burt. Tom Burt, B-E-R-T. Yes, you will find it. Uh, Should we uh, take a quick break and we'll come back and do a track by track? Let's take a break. Don't Smother Nature is a one-stop shop for sustainable home goods. They do the research to compile all the best and most affordable options and group them into a convenient online location. With smooth navigation, helpful support, and easy returns and tracking, they make transitioning you and your home to be more Earth-friendly, a simple and accessible process. They just had their grand opening, so browse their extensive catalog now at DontSmotherNature.com. That's DontSmotherNature.com. Have you ever forgotten, Matthew? Uh, I've forgotten a lot of things, but rock and roll never forgets. Rock and roll never forgets. (laughs) Uh, I absolutely love it when a band starts an album by punching you right in the face. Yes. Lets you know what they're all about. No slow, dramatic openings here. Just throwback sound to the 50s a little bit. Yeah. Like this. A great song with a great message about how no matter how old you get, you can go back and you can listen to the music of your childhood and your teen years and your 20s and go on a nostalgia trip because rock and roll never forgets. Love that. Love it. It's an old rock and roll pastiche. 
with sounds and lyrics that reminisce about the bygone era with an updated sound. He would revisit that era later in his career with the much more overplayed old-time rock and roll, but this is my preferred song of the two, and I think if you've been listening to Audio Judo for a while now, and we sure hope you have, <laughs> uh, you know that I do not have an affinity for the saxophone no, in no, rock music. You do not. And maybe I need to clarify it again, because while I don't mind the sax in jazz, <laughs> I also don't mind the sax in a particular era of rock music. I love the sax work of Clarence Clemens and the early Springsteen stuff in the 70s. It starts to lose me in the 80s, as most of the sax does, when it becomes a replacement for the guitar mm -hmm. instead of a complement to the guitar. So when the sax is the primary melodic instrument in a rock piece, I've lost interest. There are a couple of exceptions, but I like the horn section in here. It's like a R&B, like Earth, Wind & Fire, Blues Brothers type horn yeah. section. Uh, and it works really well because the song is a look back to those R&B early rock and roll days. Uh, the song was the third and final single from the record and would eventually peak at number 41. Less successful than the first two singles, but it's an absolute fan favorite and still a staple of classic rock radio. Yeah, He wrote the song after attending a high school reunion, and I think it encapsulates things we all go through when we look back at those high school years. You know, back in the old days, we used to party and not give two shits about what people thought about us and how we were acting, but now I'm older, I've got a family and a job and my dignity, and I can't let it all hang out like I used to. <laughs> but I can still get out there and enjoy some live music and have a good time. I just might have to bail before the encore to get home and pay the babysitter. <laughs> uh, I love the line from this, uh, well, all Chuck's children are out there playing his licks. Yeah. I did not know that's what that line was until I looked it up several years ago. Little little toss out to Chuck Berry there? Yeah. I mean, obviously, this whole album has a lot of classic rock influences, but Chuck Berry, one of the biggest, one of the earliest. And I got a, I got two quick side notes because I kind of fell down a little bit of a Chuck Berry hole while I was looking at this. Number one, yet another artist whose uh, musical works were lost in the 2008 Universal Fire. Chuck Berry or Bob Seger? Chuck Berry. Okay. Fuck that fire. <laughs> uh, second of all, uh, Johnny Be Good, only rock and roll track on the Voyager Golden Record. Oh. So if you want to talk about a rock and roll legacy, there's a possibility that if all of human life were extinguished today, like if the whole planet blew up, uh, Johnny B. Good would survive for a while. That's cool. Right? Yeah. Also, uh, so Bob Seger was 31 when he wrote this song, hence the line, Sweet 16's now 31. Yep. Uh, and, and like we've been saying, you know, it's it really is a, a little bit of a nostalgia trip song that plays into that, you know, the rock and roll that he was listening to when he was young, that he was heavily influenced by but with the new sound that was happening in the mid seventies in rock and roll. Definitely. And e do you have another one? Oh, I was, I was just going to say, uh, because of the weird lineup on this album, I did list who did what on every single song. Oh, so this one is a uh, drew Abbott on guitar, Robin Robbins on piano, Alto Reed on sax, Chris Campbell on bass and Charlie Allen Martin on drums. So even Rolling Stone magazine gets it right. Ooh. Calling this a quote, no bullshit horn slathered silver bullet crunch with a nod to Chuck Berry in the last verse. And the music makes the case for rock's longevity as well as the lyrics do. And I think that's the perfect way to describe it. There's just as much nostalgia in the music as there is in the lyrics. And how rare is that? Yeah. It's great. And, it's a, you know, I can tell why they put it as the opener on this album. Yeah. And this album is packed with hits so it's it's really is you had to pick a hit of hits to open this album it's a great start and it's something that would uh absolutely help me to work on my night moves night moves second song on the album fuck song <laughs> just oh, oh big time ease right into it and it's not just a fuck song it's a first time v card punching fuck song. yeah there's no disguise in this one there is no disguising this one Title track of the record, and to this man's ears, one of the finest rock songs of its day. Still holds up. Lead single of the record would become his biggest hit since Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. It also took him almost six months to write the song, but he recorded it really quickly, mm, as you mentioned, at Nimbus days. Studios in Toronto. Uh, most of the Silver Bullet Band had finished their work by the time Seeger set out to record this song, so he used some session musicians, as you mentioned earlier. One of the defining songs sounds of the song is the work of the background vocalist towards the end of the song. Yeah. Uh, those were done by Rhonda Silver, Laurel Ward, and Sharon Lee Williams. All three of them 
uh, were, are Canadian singers who worked primarily in background roles for their careers. I was able to find out that Sharon Lee Williams voiced a few of the characters on Fraggle Rock. Oh. Which brings back a lot of memories. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, Bob Seger was actually inspired by the movie American Graffiti to write this song because he was thinking about the nostalgia of his childhood while watching it. Uh, so in theory... That means we can thank George Lucas for Star Wars and Night Moves. Oh. Just saying. How much do I owe that guy? A lot. Um, <laughs> this one is also, it's a very personal narrative. These things actually, in theory, happened to Bob Seger. Um, but he has said in interviews that it was actually a 1962 Chevy. Yeah. Not a 1960 Chevy, but it didn't fit lyrically within the song. Weirdly, Rolling Stone got this one right, too. They named it Single of the Year in 1977. Good job. Number four on the Billboard Hot 100 for the single and number five in Canada. It's a wonderful song. Plays out like a narrative. Yeah. And uh, autobiographical story of Bob and a young lady losing their virginities in the backseat of a Chevy out in the woods somewhere. Seeger said this about the song. It still has the exact meaning it's always had for me. The freedom and looseness I had during high school. That romance actually took place after high school, and it was actually about a real person. Her boyfriend was in the service, and when he came back, she married him. It was my first broken heart. So Seeger also said that the title referred to two separate things. One is the obvious putting moves on a girl in the backseat of his car, and the other was when he and the fellas would be working on their night moves to try to get the girls in the car in the first place. Uh, he said these parties were called grassers. Yeah. We called them woods parties, but they were the same thing. Uh, find a spot in the woods. Build a big bonfire, get a bunch of beer, and invite everyone you know. We had a lot of those. Easy enough. Uniquely, this song has two bridges, something that Seeger credits to Bruce Springsteen in the song Jungle Land. And it certainly gives this song a unique sound because the music falls away, and it has a great moment of introspection. Uh, every time I hear it, it sounds like he's just having a conversation with you, and he stops to get a little deep and thoughtful, and then it picks back up again, like he remembered where he was in the story, like this. I woke last night to the sound of thunder How far off I sat and wondered Started humming a song from 1962 And it's funny how the night moves When you just don't seem to have as much to lose Strange how the night moves With autumn closing in the song that pushed Bob Seger out of regional and into the nationwide spotlight. Definitely. And in some cases, the worldwide spotlight. This is the one that got so much radio play that people actually were like, oh, I got to go buy that album. And then, oh, hey, I like this guy. I should go buy his other older albums. Definitely. Uh, and Seger knew when he recorded it. I think everybody knew yeah. that it was going to be a hit. Even the promotions guy from the label told him, you're going to be singing this song for the rest of your career. Um <laughs> Seeger also said this is his favorite song of his own, and he would spend the rest of his career trying to repeat it, or at least the success of it. But more importantly, again, when we saw him in 2019, uh, before he played this song, he said that this was his mom's favorite song of his. And I think it's even more special to him now because of that reason. Uh, one of my favorite things about the song is how he changes the meaning of Night Moves from being about putting the moves on someone to being about the passage of time. Yeah. And those little subtle changes within the scope of the narrative are what make it so effective and endearing. And whenever I'm sitting out on the patio at night with the missus and we're watching the world go by and reflecting on all that we've been through, this is the song that we sing along to. And it's such a nice moment. It's perfect. Yeah. But I don't know. That much wine and hanging out by the fire kind of gives me uh, the fire down below. Because I think that's the next song, isn't it? It is. It is an I'll Pay You to Fuck song. <laughs> it's another uh, good old song about prostitution. Wait, uh, and, you know, I do. I, I got to get serious here for a second. Oh, so don't. All, all, oh, all oh joking aside, oh, this song shit. is about prostitution. And I got to take a second to, to say that for me personally, I fully support the idea that uh, sex work is work. 
Uh, Not something that should be shamed or looked down upon by society, nor should be illegal. Bob Seger took a lot of shit for this song because a lot of people thought this was him singing about picking up a prostitute when, in fact, it was a third person narrative that he wrote because he had the idea for a song. I think that in society, you know, there's a reason it's called the oldest profession, right? Because it's been around forever. And the fact that we shame people for it and and put people down (laughs) for it, it, I think, is horrible. Uh, especially because sex work isn't just prostitution. It's anybody working in the sex industry. That includes pornography, strip clubs, sex-oriented men's magazines, the sex toy industry, uh, host and hostess clubs, peep shows, sex shops, adult bookstores, and lots of performers on the internet, uh, like on sites like OnlyFans, Just for Fans, all kinds of other you know sites where you pay people to do things for you. All told, the sex industry accounts for around $100 billion in the U.S. annually. Kyle did his uh, research yes, on this one. Because there is a good chance that, yes, you, <laughs> listener, uh, have spent money at some point on something related to the sex industry. And the reason why I'm bringing this up right now is because MasterCard just made changes to their agreements uh, that are making it very difficult for a lot of people in the sex industry to get paid for their work. What? So if it is something that you give a shit about, make some changes. Call MasterCard and uh, cancel your card. Switch to Visa Switch or somebody to Visa. else. Or somebody who actually supports sex workers. Hey, Visa, we're open for uh, <coughs> endorsement opportunities. Indeed, we are. Audiojudo.com. Audiojudo.com. Info, Info at, at audiojudo.com. Yeah, but like I said, this song was not necessarily personal for Bob Seeger. It was more of a third-person narrative that he wanted to write about. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics are about different customers that hire, might hire a prostitute, like bankers, lawyers, or rich and poor people. As long as they've got money, the prostitute doesn't care. We've covered this ground before when we did Goodbye Yellow Brick Road mm-hmm. by Elton John on the song from that record, Sweet Painted Lady. It's a fan favorite, though, and it's often played live. And it was controversial. Anne Landers criticized it in one of her columns for glorifying sex. Yeah, and because that's a bad thing? Right. Now, the fire down below might not be the best way to describe it, especially if you had visited a prostitute in this song. Right. I think if you got the fire, you might also have the clap. Lyrically, <laughs> it's super cool with a verse like, uh, here comes the rich man in his big, long limousine. Here comes the poor man. All you got to do is have green. Here comes the banker and the lawyer and the cop. One thing for certain, it ain't never going to stop. When all gets too heavy, that's when they come and go. With only one thing in common, they got the fire down below. So basically saying that it doesn't matter how successful you are as a person, everyone's got stress, and all you need is a little cash to get your rocks off with one of the ladies of the night. Everybody fucks. Right? Musically, this song benefits from the guitar work of Drew Abbott, who plays some great soulful licks in the song. Uh, Yeah, he does. Abbott played with Seeger for most of the 70s hits and would eventually leave in 83 when he felt that Seeger was relying too much on session musicians. Uh, he re- relocated to the beautiful Traverse City, Michigan area and continues to play guitar with local bands there. Hmm. Um, his work on this song is first rate, and here is a bit of it. Here comes the man, face is hidden from the light, all through the shadow. Seeger has said that lyrically, this song was heavily influenced by Scottish singer Frankie Miller's Ain't Got No Money. Uh, but musically, it was influenced by Fleetwood Mac's Rattleshake, Rattlesnake Shake. Oh. It's another one that's hard for me to say. Rattlesnake Shake. Rattlesnake Shake. Can you say the name of the next song with a pun? <laughs> now that you've asked me to, I certainly can't. <laughs> Uh, sunburst. So, how about how, okay? How about this? After you finished with the fire down below, maybe you'll end with a sunburst. Oh, that's not bad. What a cool little song right? on here. Definitely one of the lesser known or unknown songs in Seeger's catalog. Uh, his greatest hits album would become very popular in the '80s, and this song was not on those volumes. Mm-hmm. But the sunburst in question is a guitar. 
Yes. Hard to tell if he's referring to a Les Paul or a Fender, but no matter, it's the finish of the guitar that is the thing. Sunburst is a style of finishing for musical instruments such as electric and acoustic guitars and electric basses. At the center of a sunburst finished surface is an area of lighter color that darkens gradually towards the edges before hitting a dark rim. And this song is written as if the guitar player were a conquering hero and the guitar was the weapon of choice, slaying the dragon. (laughs) Visually, it's pretty good. The smoke begins to rise, a sea of staring eyes, all gaze on the sunburst. His weapon at his side, he flashes it with pride. Before his legions, fires begin to rage and they engulf the stage. That's just good shit right there. This is such a a fascinating, presumably self-experiential song about becoming a rock star. And what it's like, the the fear and the excitement of getting up on stage and performing and then having to outrun the crowds of adoring fans to get out of there and then slamming the door on them so you can get away. It's great. I I love this song. Do you? I do. It's one of those songs that I forget about for years at a time. And then I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Seger song, Sunburst. I didn't remember it at all. As you mentioned earlier, not accompanying him on this song is the Silver Bullet Band, but the Muscle Shoals Band. And while this song is essentially about the guitar... The first half of the song is carried by the piano playing of Barry Beckett, who, as part of the Muscle Shoals, played with a huge list of artists as well. Mm-hmm. But then in the middle of the song, it gives way to a much heavier sound when the guitar takes over right here. song uh, builds up and up and up and then it finally he escapes and it like pauses and there's that little flute solo yeah and then it builds back up again steps that's up. such a cool like musical narrative that builds who played the flute on that do you have that i did not have that i looked and i couldn't find out who that's unfortunate if you're the flute player from bob Seeger's <laughs> night moves listen to this send us a message at Please info do. at audiojudo.com because i i intentionally looked for that i was like oh who played the flute on that and there was uh, one name that came up, but it was on a website I didn't trust. So I didn't write it down. Pornhub. But it was on Pornhub. <laughs> Who played Bob Seger's flute? And then so I was like, oh, weird cool. search. Right? Uh, the lead uh, guitar being played this time was uh, by Pete Carr, mm-hmm. who was immortalized on a song further along on this record. It's a quirky little song to close out the first side. Yeah. But I dig it. But uh, two suns in a row. Sun right? burst. Sun spot, baby. That's it. Sunspot Baby. Right? Uh, yeah, that's it. That's the name of it. I know. They, <laughs> there's nowhere to go with it. Right? What is this Randy Newman song doing on this Bob Seger See, you, album? you went Randy Newman? Yeah. I went Joe Walsh. Oh, I could see that too. Launching the second side of the record, another lesser known of his songs. This one fits in a little bit better than the last one as far as the narrative goes. Album is about nostalgia, about looking back at things. And this is a story about another woman taking off on him. But this time, she took all of his money. And left him a bunch of bills. There's a lot of Chuck Berry and uh, Little Richard influences in this song. Whole bunch. You can hear them all throughout this. And like I said, this song reminds me a lot of uh, Life's Been Good by Joe Walsh. I could definitely see that. Has that heavier distortion to it. It's got that real meaty sound. Seems like Bob is struggling to find the melody in the song a little bit. And he gets kind of lost in it. So it's not really surprising that this isn't as impactful as some of the other songs on the record. But, uh... Uh, you be the judge. Gave me a false address. Took off with my American Express. Sunspot, baby. She show at me way I guessed. Left me here stranded like a dog out in the yard. Charge up. Credit card. 
See, now I want to retcon what I said because now, now that I hear that, it does sound like Randy Newman. I couldn't place what I what I heard in my head. I don't know. It definitely does not sound to me like a Bob Seger song. No, it sounds like it doesn't belong on this album. But that being said, see, it's a great song. See, lyrically, it does belong on this album, but musically, I don't know that it does. All right, I would totally agree with that. Yes. See, it's all uh, right. It's not one of my favorites on the song, but I like to listen to it, especially. When I'm down on Main Street. Oh, boy. I had one more thing I got to talk about. Oh, you got one more? Okay, then don't do the whoosh. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I screwed the... Ah, jeez. Screwed the pooch on that one. You know what a sunspot actually is, Matthew? A a sunspot? Yeah. It's a spot that appears darker on the sun. Uh, They form in regions of reduced surface temperatures uh, caused by concentrations of magnetic flux that inhibit convection. Oh, it's the science portion of the the science portion. However, in the song, Sunspot Baby is someone who searches for sunspots. Uh, or places where there's lots of sun, like Miami, Florida, or in a grill, Jamaica. Oh, uh, I get it. Right? When she runs off with the protagonist's credit card, turns out that she has a dark side and stops him from being hot for her. Oh, my gosh. Boom. Brilliant. Science. Wow. wow. I'm going to write that down as Kyle's best critique oh, right my. now. Thank you. That is fantastic. I, I really felt like that one went deep. That was good. I liked it. Now can I do it? Yes, now you can do it. It's <laughs> It's not one of my favorites on the record, but I still like to listen to it down on Main Street. I love this song too. It's one of the absolute highlights of the record. The haunting wailing guitars on here are just chef's kiss. Mwah. Song was the second single, reached number 24 in the US, number 1 in Canada. Go Ooh. Canada. It's such a beautiful song, full of that melancholy that I love so much in music. Seeger has a way of making these narratives hit home so effectively and marrying the music to the lyrics. So I started to think about, why is it so effective? Why is this song so effective? Hmm. Take a song like Celebration by Cool and the Gang. Okay. There's no way that song could be turned into a blues song or a ballad, right? The lyrics are all about partying. And you have an expectation in your mind about the way a song like that should sound. And I feel that that's what Seeger is so good at, evoking a mood in the song that enhances the lyrics and puts you in the narrator's shoes. So the song is about a guy who is super taken with a young lady dancer in the downtown area. And while I think he was a younger, say even younger in this record, he would have been all about meeting her and putting the night moves on her. But now... He's grown up and he's content to just watch her walk past and enjoy the memories of watching her. Even dreams about her at night, but doesn't approach her. There's a quiet loneliness to the song. And that guitar line that dominates the song, played by Pete Carr, is such a dramatic melody that it doubles down on that loneliness. That guitar just stands out with a little reverb, very little going on around it that it makes you feel like you're walking that dark street alone with them like this. I remember standing on the corner at midnight Trying to get my courage up Love to watch her do her stuff Through the long, lonely nights She filled my sleep Her body softly swaying To that smoky beat Down on Main Street This is actually an autobiographical song, Matthew. Uh, It is about where he grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The street that he's singing about is Ann Street in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Bob Seger told the Chicago Sun-Times in an interview, quote, It was about a club. I can't remember the name of the club, but the band that played there all the time was called Washboard Willie. They were a Delta and Chicago blues band. Girls would dance in the window. They were a black band, and they were very good. That's where I would go, but I was too young to get in. It wasn't in a great part of town, but college students loved to go there. Ah, love it. So first of all, it's one of my favorite Seeger songs and one that you just love to belt out and sing along to, especially at the end when he kind of wails the last few down on, down on Main 
Main Street over and over again. Yeah. So great. And I love this song. It definitely sounds like home. And also, as you mentioned, it's uh, Ann Street. And I know what that street is like now hmm. in a bustling college town. My brother lives like three blocks from there. Oh. And it's very busy. But I can imagine what it would have been like in the early 60s. Probably not well lit with some divey bars. Pretty cool place. Incidentally, that guitar line that is the center point of the song does not get played live. It was replaced by the saxophone of Alto Reed, mm. which I think was just almost just as impactful. Yeah. It's so good and rich. You got more about this song? I was just going to say that I feel like this is definitely a uh, middle-aged white guy is at the end of a very drunken night song. Oh, fuck yeah, it is. It's like, this is, this is <laughs> Main Street is the song you put on when you're wrapping it up and you're oh, all just man. like, you can barely hold your head up. And then all of a sudden everybody's just like, down Main Street. It's so good, though. It's, it's a great song, though. Uh, I love it. Matthew, come to Papa. Whoa. That's that's the name of the next song. That's I didn't mean that oh, literally. Oh, oh, sure. But this one is an immediate departure from everything else on this album. It's almost a funk song. Yeah. It's actually a reimagining of an R&B song called Come to Mama that was originally done in 1975 by Ann Peebles. Well, it was originally, well, it was originally written by Earl Randall and yes. Willie Mitchell. For Ann Peebles. Well, uh, and recorded and released by the Hamsters before Ann Peebles. Mm. Um I thought they wrote it for Ann Peebles. Uh, oh, interesting. The Hamsters. Huh. The, the list that I saw, because th this has actually been covered, the song Come to Mama has been covered by several people. Yeah. And Ann Peebles was the first one on that list, but that's interesting. I didn't find that one. This has more slink and soul than you expect Bob Seger to have. It's really an excellent song with some great moments, maybe like this. The stars in the sky. Very interesting, very not like anything else on this album. No. And I think when you start to listen to this album as a whole and the whole thing in context, you can start to pick up on the differences between the Silver Bullet Band and the Muscle Shoals oh, rhythm absolutely. section. Uh, this is muscle, muscle Shoals, and there's more swagger in their sound. Silver Bullet is more straight-ahead rock and roll, and it has that Midwestern vibe to it. But these guys have more of that Southern soul, and they seem to incorporate some blues elements in there, which is... Super, super cool. It's a actually, I like it's a little hidden gem on the record. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it's no ship of fools. Oh. Uh, is this peaceful, easy feeling by the Eagles? It could be because it sounds a lot like it, it might as well be. But I mean, obviously, there might be some influence there, but uh, still a good song. Uh, do you know what the term ship of fools actually means, Matthew? I do not. So it's an allegory originating from the uh, from book six of Plato's Republic about a ship with a dysfunctional crew. Uh, the allegory is intended to represent the problems of governance prevailing in a political system not based on expert knowledge. Huh. Sound familiar? It does. It sounds very <laughs> familiar, actually. I'm going to do my own research, Matthew, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I think it's one of the underrated songs on the album. Yeah. Kind of one of those unsung songs that is really good, but for whatever reason goes unnoticed amongst all the other hits. Kind of like Grey Seal. Mm -hmm. from Goodbye Yellbrick Road. Super good song, but buried. But for Seeger's voice, this could easily be a country song. Yes. It has the melody of a country song, the slide guitar of a country song, and the subject matter could be a country song. Tells the tale of a guy in a ship which is destined to crash and sink along the coast, and he is the lone survivor. Could be a metaphor, claiming he, quote, alone had the tools to survive the ship of fools. Or he could just be telling a story, hard to say. But, I don't know, you tell me. Tell me quick, sit on my feet What's this all have to do with me? I spent all my time at sea alone Is there something else I should know? Something hidden down below The level of your conversation well, it turned away before the answer 
to hear It became too clear So question for you, Matthew. Yes. Do you think he's singing about former relationships or former bands? Or both? Mm. I, I think relationships. I feel like it's bands. Do you? I feel like because he went through so many bands. Well, bullshit. I'm walking out. Yeah, damn it. He went through so many bands in his career and so many... Pro- he he always felt like he was the successful one that ended up moving out of the band. That's an interesting turn. And I wonder if this song was intentionally about that because he says, you know, like you said... He's the only one with the tools to survive. Oh, damn. Is he really calling out all of his former bands? Like, listen, you stupid idiots. I'm the one that became successful. You guys Damn it. Kyle got deep on this record. God damn it. That's good. That's good stuff. What are you, a Mary Lou? Oh, whoa. I'm not there yet. Please, please continue. I'm sorry. I I overrode you. I I love this song, and I dig the Muscle Shoals band that plays on so much. And I'm going to have to find out what else they uh, played on. Because they have a unique sound among the backing bands of the day. And I wonder what kind of career Seeger would have had if he had called himself Bob Seeger in the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. Well, you know, uh, Muscle Shoals has got the swamper. They've been known to kick a song or two. <laughs> what is that from? It's from uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Does he say Muscle yeah. Shoals in it? Yeah. Really? Muscle Shoals has... I don't know if that's actually the line, but I think that it is... Muscle Shoals has got the something. They've been known to kick a song or two. I'm going to have to look that up now. Jesus. Somebody correct us. But they sound great. But now you can do your pun. Oh, I was going to say, what are you, a Mary Lou? It's the only other song on the album other than Come to Papa, not written by Bob Seger. Mm -hmm. Oh, and this one has a story behind it. Tell it. So the writing credits to this go to uh, Young Jesse and Sam Ling. So Young Jesse was actually a man named Obadiah Donnell, Obi Jesse. Obi Jesse. Uh, who was born on December 28, 1936, and sadly passed away April 27th, 2020. Uh, he was an American R&B, rock and roll, and jazz singer and songwriter. Uh, he recorded as young Jesse in the 1950s and 60s and was known for his solo career, um, work with a band called The Flares, and a brief stint in a band called The Coasters. He later and perform, uh, he later performed and recorded uh, jazz as a, under the stage name Obi Jesse. Uh Great musician. His version of Mary Lou is very good. Uh, go check it out. It's one of the things that I love about it is the the backing vocals in in Bob Seger's version where they say Mary Lou and then Mary Lou in the in uh, Jess Young Jesse's version. The Mary Lou is super deep. It's like Mary Lou, Mary Ooh. Lou. It's really fun. I like that. Unfortunately, the flip side of that, the other writer who is credited on this, Sam Ling. A.K.A. Soul Samuel Bihari uh, is one of the four Bihari brothers uh, who were significant figures in the birth of rock and roll. There's four Bihari brothers? There's four Bihari brothers. They're actually pretty shitty people. <laughs> Great. <laughs> who would have thought? Uh, the four brothers, Lester, Julius, Saul, and Joseph, founded a company called Modern Records, which they then split off a whole bunch of subsidiaries from, essentially depending upon who you believe, so that they could take people for more money and then close out that subsidiary company. And then when people came back and were like, hey, I want my my rights, I want my money, they would say, well, we're sorry, that company no longer exists, so you can't sue us anymore. Oh, what a couple of douchebags. Uh, on top of that, they were not songwriters, but they did purchase or claim authorship of many songs that appeared on their own labels so they could get songwriting royalties for themselves. Uh, they used pseudonyms for their credits, so it was much harder to track who was actually writing the songs. And they specifically preyed on artists that were not savvy to the business side of the music industry, new artists, artists that did not have any background in, you know, contracts and dealings and things like that. What's that, Barry Gordy? You're going to give me $100 for all my songs? Right? Uh, In fact, John Lee Hooker's song, Down Child, is solely credited to Jules Taub, which was one of Jules Bihari's uh, pseudonyms. Oh, what a bunch of assholes. Also, uh, you know, just to show who they were hanging out with, uh, they hired a young Ike Turner as a talent scout, musician, and producer. Uh, They had him write songs for them, which they copyrighted under their own pseudonyms, so he received no credit or royalties for their songs. Ike Turner later estimated in an interview that he wrote, quote, 78 hit records for the Baharis. Oh, my God. Sound like a real nice group of guys. A couple of douchebags. Yeah. But the song. Great song. Pretty cool blues rocker. sounds like this. She took my watch and chain. She took my diamond ring. 
pretty much the whole Silver Bullet band credited with backing vocals on this. Drew Abbott, Robin, Robbie, oh God, Robin, Rob, Rob, Robbie, Rob, Robin, Rob, Rowdy, Robbie Piper, Robin, Robin, Ruben. <laughs> Let me try that again from the top. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Pretty much the whole Silver Bullet band credited with backing vocals on this. Drew Abbott, Robin Robbins, uh, Alta Reed, and Chris Campbell. Actually, I'm sorry. Alta Reed not credited as backing vocals. Chris oh. Campbell credited as backing vocals. Charlie Martin also credited as backing vocals. So they're the ones that did the Mary Lou. Mary Lou. Love it. Great song. And I love this record. And there's something about this sound that really resonated and endears itself to me. And so much of the audience that he built over the last 50 years around the country, and especially in the Midwest. Uh, I wish I could describe to you how revered he is in that er that area as the great elder statesman of rock and roll. And when you currently have Ted Nugent and Kid Rock on the res resume, Ugh. this is a welcome, respectful man. Uh, and that is Night Moves. Um, and you guys out there need to get on board because we have yeah. great things coming to our Patreon site and we want you to be part of the show. We do. We would love your support for the show. And if you do want to support us, we have two tiers on Patreon. Uh, the front row seats tier is five bucks a month. Uh, and that tier includes two day early access to all of our episodes. A shout out on a future episode as a loyal producer. Uh, some bonus mini episodes called Judo Chops that are like you know, five to 15 minutes. And they cover usually one subject on music, as well as some occasional bonus content, such as unedited interviews, behind the scenes videos and tiny tidbits that got cut out of regular episodes, mostly because we screwed up or burped or farted. There's also a higher tier called the Backstage Pass. It is $20 a month. However, for that $20 a month, you get everything in the front row seats tier, plus a very special personalized gift the chance to co-host an audio judo episode on the album of your choice. Uh, that benefit activates after one year uh, of patronage at that tier and can only be activated once. Uh, and on top of that, you get to feel pretty good about giving us some money to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, it really is. Uh, it does help us out a lot. Even if you can't do that, get in touch with this and let us know what you think. Yeah. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us at Twitter uh, at audio judo on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash audio judo or on Instagram at audio underscore judo. If you want to send us an email, you can do that too at info at audiojudo.com. Please don't forget to check out our jazz podcast, Audio Judo Does Jazz, which is available at audiojudo.com forward slash AJDJ or anywhere that podcasts are podcast. We have episodes from Joy Division, Rush, Dire Straits, our holiday and year-end episodes coming. So please keep joining us. Other than that, we will talk to you in two weeks. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everyone. Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. It keeps you seeing safely all year long. Pick up some at Walmart today. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 